Hello, hello. Welcome to today's special bite-sized episode of the Crypto Valley Association podcast. As we celebrate our 10th episode, I am your host, Traz Ahmed, and let's discover together the growing trends of this fast-moving space and try to shed some light on the mysteries it contains. We are joined by Thierry Aris Ruiz, CEO and founder of AGAU.io, an electronic money system backed by silver and gold. We also have with us Alexander Berenson, Professor of Economic Theory and Dean of the Faculty of Business and Economics at the University of Basel. This is going to be an exciting one, so hang in tight and let's dive straight into the world of monetary policy. Jerry, Alexander, thank you both for being here. How is everything? Uh, very good. Uh, thank thank awesome. you for having me, um, Charles. Oh, my pleasure. So uh, let's start this straight off by letting our audience know a little bit about yourselves and, and what first got you involved within the blockchain space. So maybe, Cherry, would, would you like to start? Yeah, thank you. So basically, I am a commodity trader by profession. And one of my first jobs was to do analysis on mining companies that were mining gold. And I heard about mining bitcoins and about the new gold back in 2010. Without too much seriousness, I, I looked at it because of also my libertarian entourage. And then as I discovered it, I kind of try to assess what the value of Bitcoin was in the early days uh, because there wasn't really a market and because I didn't really see a standard of how to calculate how you can take an ounce of gold out of the ground for a mining company. I could understand that, but mm. how it could, you could produce with CapEx and, uh, and hardware, the Bitcoins, I couldn't understand it. So that's the first time I heard about it. I left it a little bit and then got back to the technology when I heard about smart contracts in 2017 in 2016 as well. So I bought some of it in 2016, sold it in 2017. And since then, I have been working with the technology mainly, basically since 2016. Yeah. Okay, great to hear. Alexander, would you, would you like to introduce yourself a little bit? Yeah, and as I said, I'm a professor of economic theory, but my main research area is monetary theory, monetary policy, and for quite a bit of years already, uh, crypto assets. So the history here is, I think around 2011, a colleague of mine emailed me or called me up and said, oh, have you heard something about Bitcoin? But unfortunately, at that time, I, I was uh, saying, ah, oh, this is going away. This is just a little bubble. And I couldn't believe at that time that this is going to be so successful as it is. Later on, uh, I was lucky to have a really good student. Uh, many of you probably know him, Fabian Scher. Is, I think it was in 2014, he was writing a seminar paper about it. And that's when I really started to get more and more interested and, and working on this subject. My research, as I, as I said, is monetary theory, monetary policy. So I'm generally interested in money. I have written many papers in money. I do a lot of uh, also consulting for central banks. And so I have one leg more in this old traditional legacy world. And my other leg now is um, in, in crypto in cryptocurrencies, crypto assets. All right, great to hear. And so, Jerry, tell us more. You're organizing an event soon, an exciting event, I think, actually based along the lines of what Alexander just said around monetary policy called the Monetary Reset event. Would you like to tell our audience a little bit more about this? Yeah, thank you. So absolutely. And Alexander is also going to be a speaker at the event. He has very valuable insights. Also has a book that he wrote recently. So. Uh, I thought he, he was one of the experts that are going to join us. We have experts from, you know, international organizations, private sector and academia. And so Alexander is somehow fits in, in a lot of those hats. 
monetaryreset.net is the website. This is a non-for-profit event, actually, to raise funds for Lebanon. To raise funds directly, 100% of the proceeds go to the St. George Hospital in Beirut. And I think it's bang on the topic because of there is a lot of stocks on CBDCs. My own project, uh, Agau AGAU, is backed by gold. So I think there is a lot of conversations to have between the different sorts of CBDCs. Uh, but also private money, what I call private money, meaning Bitcoin or my private initiative. And so I think it's a good debate to have uh, in order to, to see what is, what is the new paradigm and the new ma- matrix of money uh, to rediscover somehow money flower in all of its forms and see what are the differences, the upsides and the downsides, and probably maybe the window on what could happen next for central bank digital currencies or for private initiatives like mine. Okay, understood. understood. And maybe, Alexander, you can comment on the importance of education as a professor, the importance of education for monetary policy uh, and the likes. Well, I think, for, of course, this is important. Also, educating students about finance so that they make good decisions. But I have to say, first of all, we are really living right now in in probably the most interesting time for the monetary theories. There have never been so much experimentation going on. And we all have to thank actually the the Bitcoin developers uh, that they, they have basically initiated the whole discussion because I'm in this field now uh, probably even 30 years and I, I, I remember we were kind of small groups doing monetary theory, writing papers, and nobody was interested about it. And that changed completely. And now everybody talks about money, uh, all these options that are, uh, you know, up for grab now. And this was, re- I mean, for me, this is the most um, fantastic thing that, that ever happened. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. And I think CBDCs have a big role to play within this. Um, and it's going to be a hot topic uh, within the event. And it has been for, for quite some time now. And for those of you that aren't familiar with this abbreviation, it means central bank digital currencies. So in a very simply put way, a digital form of government-backed and issued currency. So Alexander, maybe you can tell us the importance of these CBDCs within within today's society. So, I mean, one thing to, to understand, this is not really so novel. In some sense, there is CBDC. There has been CBDC for many years already, but it was limited to the financial sector. Basically, you had to be in a financial institution. Then you had access to an electronic or digital form of uh, central bank money. It's just that household and firms have no access to it. Now they need to hold government printed money. Then you have to to hold either coins or banknotes. So in, in that sense, it's not such a big step, right? Basically, the only thing that the central banks need to do is to open accounts or to allow the people to open accounts in there at the central bank, and then we have CBDC. Mm-hmm. And the discussion, so this would have been feasible like 10 years ago or 20 years ago. You don't need blockchain or crypto, crypto technology to do so. But because of Bitcoin, because in particular because of Libra, I guess, uh, suddenly the central banks were waking up and saying, oh, maybe we have to offer something like this, because otherwise the private sector is going to do it. Okay. Okay. And so uh, what do you think about that, Cherry? Is it true? Maybe you can tell us a little bit about why CBDCs have been so hyped up then if they could have been created in the past. Well, I am of the opinion that the private sector always innovates much better than more public initiatives. And I think Bitcoin is precisely that. My view, Bitcoin is a private sector response of the experimentation of the central banks. 
I believe at this time we are looking at uncharted territories when it comes to central bank policy. I was discussing with Alexander previously that when I was studying monetary policy, finance, international finance, I was not aware of negative rates. I didn't learn about asset purchases, quantitative easing, and all that. So this is something that only discovered in 2008, 2009. And then since then, I believe that there was a lot of moral hazard that was created by central bank policy for two reasons. One is because the enormous responsibility of central banks whilst doing something for which nobody really has a response in terms of the predictive consequences of that. And then also because of the inflation that is a target now, didn't necessarily create inflation, but rather asset inflation. And that essentially pushed a lot of people on the risk curve uh, meaning that they took more risk than they necessarily could have done. And then also the, the other fact is that those who had financial assets saw their price rise artificially. And so artificial interest rate, artificially low interest rate is exactly what it is, which is artificial. So I believe in response to that, the private sector really wanted to create an alternative of central bank money by creating Bitcoin. And I, looking at history, believing in gold as the true and only form of money, started my initiative because I saw the opportunity there. And I wanted to do it in Switzerland because I thought that in terms of historical risk and, and legal perspective, that was the best place to do it without risking uh, expropriation or confiscation. Okay. Okay. I, I, I see exactly what you mean. And maybe just further on that point, then what do you think about the people that compare Bitcoin to digital gold? Then where do you see the contrast between gold and digital gold? A lot of people, let's say of the younger generations are looking into buying Bitcoin as they see that as better value than actual gold today. What, what are your thoughts about those two? Yeah, that, that's true. I mean, it's kind of like the millennials gold, I would say. Because it's appealing, because it's new, but clearly the track record of, of history and the price movement and so on, I don't feel like it's the same thing. First of all, I have to say I respect the idea of Bitcoins and the ideals behind Bitcoin, but I do not believe in Bitcoin itself. And what I mean by that is that I don't think it serves as money. I don't think it is money. I see it more as a collectible, right? It's a nice invention, but I don't feel like the first invention is the best one, right? So it's never mm -hmm. the first car that is the best car. It's not the first computer that is the best computer, but that doesn't mean that cars are not good and that computers are not good. Uh, obviously, the technology will be used in the future, but in terms of pricing and what money is, which is unit of account, store of value, and medium of exchange, it fails mm -hmm. at all three, in my opinion. Unit of account, because a unit of Bitcoin today is not really comparable of a unit of Bitcoin 2009 or 13. And a store of value, because of the volatility, you cannot really put your rent on Bitcoin, right? You would not want to use that unless that's the mm -hmm. only option that you have, like in the case of Venezuela or things like that. And yes. then finally, the medium of exchange, we see that there's scalability problems. And so obviously it doesn't fit there either. It doesn't mean that there's enormous amounts of brains working on these problems. And mm -hmm. I am confident that at some point the crypto community as a whole will come up with a good protocol and a good form of money that could be using that technology, which is what I'm trying to do. But at the same time, I am totally for the free competition of money 
because that can only improve the quality of money in my view. And so there will be failures and there would be winners and hopefully we'll be on the right side of history. Okay, and, and maybe just one other question about that, because I think it's very intriguing uh, towards our audience, whereby, well, gold is a commodity and it's scarce and that's what brings its value, right? But imagine if Elon Musk's project, for example, goes to plan and he's able to go to space and uh, mine a bunch <laughs> of gold and then create an abundance of gold. Does that defeat then the purpose of, of this commodity? Where do you see, see that uh, flaw? I mean, look, from that perspective, there is much more gold at the center of the earth at its core. So, uh, you know, Warren Buffett would say that you take the gold off the ground to just refine it and then put it back in the ground. I, I see your point, but then going back to what is the cost of production of an ounce, I don't know if the cost of production of bringing that gold to, it's a hypothetical. Obviously, supply and demand would, would play. I'm not so worried about this. I think the, it serves its purpose for what it is, which is it's mm -hmm. a physical element, okay? And then the table of elements, uh, you know, we are AGAU, uh, one token backed by silver AG and one token backed by gold AU. The table of elements, AU, gold, is immutable in time. So that means in a thousand mm -hmm. years, uh, the gold will not move. It doesn't need technology to be there. It, we only use the technology to keep an entry ledger, right? book of it but but ultimately the gold will exist beyond ourselves all right unless we dematerialize ourselves as well but the short answer would be it is historically proven that so far discovered the best alternative to fiat and mm -hmm. the real money as far as adam smith and all classical liberals are concerned is gold okay Yeah, very interesting. So let's pivot back a little bit to the digital side and, and, and maybe, Alexandra, you can give our audience some of the benefits then to the issuance of digital cash. I think there are many benefits. So uh, first of all, I think there is a demand for it. There are many people that would like to hold an electronic form, you know, money that is issued by the government. They can't right now. So if you want to make payment these days, you have to hold private money. Then there, is, there are benefits for monetary policy. It would simplify monetary policy quite a bit. I think also there are advantages for stability. I think that it will increase financial stability. And then there are some other uh, benefits. So I just don't see any drawback from it. Okay, so no drawback whatsoever. There are no downsides to the issuance of, of digital cash. No. I'm not a person who says, okay, we have to outlaw everything else. I'm, I'm totally for competition. So I, I, I think crypto is fine. They should develop. Maybe they come up with something that people really want to hold. That's fine. So it's really, I think competition is good. But I, if I just look from the point of view of central bank, I think they have to issue a legal tender that is, you know, that in electronic form that everybody can hold. Mm -hmm. But then what about the dilemma of liberty, right? And the whole uh, surveillance metrics that we're seeing uh, in, in today's day and age, this, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But this is freedom of choice. Right? At, at, at the end of the day, that's why I would even allow Monero and others. I would just say, okay. fine, if somebody has really concerns about privacy, then he, he should go for a private sector solution like, like Monero. Mm -hmm. And you don't believe that the governments will impose their currency on, on their uh, citizens? Some, some will do, certainly, but many won't do it. I mean, there are governments that they, they don't want to do. They're actually, in fact, quite reluctant. So you have, right, the situation is you almost have to force central banks to issue CBDC because they, they, they believe the current system is quite fine, so there is no need for change. The more up you go the ladder, the less they think it's needed.
Okay, interesting. And uh, Cherry, do you have anything to add to those uh, pros and cons of uh, digital cash? Well, I think there is a difference between the principles of Western society and what is actually really happening. The principles of Western society, as I see them, is that freedom of private property, for example, and all sorts of freedom, such as privacy, are supposed to be guaranteed by the constitutions and by some safety nets. But the reality of things is that I do not see that we are in a complete free market if there is if the if the main target rate, which is the price of money, is artificially defined by a centralized institution. I don't feel like that's a free market. The other concern is, of course, you mentioned privacy and the allowance of petition. You know, are we really in a free market capitalist system or not? And in theory we are, but in practice we are not because we we see regulation. So under the disguise of protection and security, the tendency is that you governments uh, and regulators regulate and they regulate uh, to the detriment of freedom under the premise of security. And we see that also with COVID in, in a lot of dif- different me- measures, but we see that with money more particularly. And I think uh, we touched on, on, a, on a very important point, which is, are we politicizing money, right? Is money now a vehicle that is being used by governments? Is there really an independency of central banks and governments? Or is the central bank there to monetize the debt, the unsustainable debt has been created by government? That's a question. Another mm-hmm. question is to know if we do actually have free competition of monies or not, because my, my understanding is there is a lot of crackdown that has been done in many different countries against crypto assets, uh, and then they come and go. But eventually that can be crony capitalism where only the ones in the club can fulfill the regulations or not. But Mm -hmm. over the long term, I would say that I'm confident that the free market will win eventually and that people will vote with their feet and with their wallets. And in in this case, you will translate just like for MP3s, right? So you Mm -hmm. had MP3s and it was illegal, but that doesn't mean it wasn't used. Same thing for Uber. So it's not because it's illegal that it's not used, but it's always better when it is legal because then it allows the peace of mind for people and it allows also for people a better use of the currency so that people can use it in in the way that by vast consensus we are supposed to be using that and not financing wrongdoing, I would say. So it's always better to adapt to the technology Mm -hmm. since it's not going to go away, to embrace it, that would be my message, rather than trying to crack it down because the more you try to crack it down, the more creative the people become into finding alternatives and those alternatives can quickly boomerang to you by creating even more of the wrong things instead of the good Mm. things, I would say. But I think at the end of the day, the question is, who do you trust more? Uh, For example, in Switzerland, who do we trust more? The Swiss National Bank or do we trust Facebook more? I think it's true that the, the free market will produce something. This is coming. That's right. Mm-hmm. But I honestly, in terms, if I make a comparison between the Swiss National Bank, you know, issuing an electronic form of money under the law, maybe some privacy law and stuff like this, and Libra, I would go for the Swiss National Bank 100%. I mean, you can be sure that if the private sector produces something like this, I mean, there will be no data protection, nothing. They will exploit your data like, you know, like there is no tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I, if I may say, if I may say something there, 
first of all, I want to say that the Swiss National Bank, according to my understanding, is a private sector institution since it's quoted on the exchange, unless I'm wrong. And the other thing is, yes, uh, of course, there's a need for people to demand privacy. I think, uh, you know, I did 10 countries in order to settle in Switzerland, and that was mainly for two reasons. One is the what at the time was privacy, meaning uh, banking secrecy. And then the other thing was also, you know, direct democracy so that people have a say in what is happening in terms of policy. So I think here the question is also to say, are we going to finally have a separation of state and money? Okay, just as we had a separation of state and religion. And then are we going to actually have a free competition of money so that people can choose? And then the work then will only be to educate and to inform to the best of their knowledge for people to choose freely in a Mm -hmm. free society. And that Mm -hmm. I believe is what is something that is playing out right now. And in my opinion, the more you are trying to fight the free choice or the free market, the more the free market will come up with creative solutions to circumvent. And eventually, if you do it too much as a central bank, you might lose the reputation that you had so much time to build on. Yeah. Okay. It's interesting. And kind of diverted a little bit from the blockchain technology part. So maybe, Alexander, how do you think uh, blockchain technology will impact monetary policy in the future? I mean, that's very hard to say for me because it, I, so I strongly believe that, you know, the entire financial system will move eventually to some sort of a network like Ethereum or similar. I think the, it's not yet settled who is going to win. And this is certainly going to have implications for monetary policy, but it's very hard to say what. But what I say in the meantime, you know, if you want to introduce a CBDC, which is a totally centralized form of money, there's absolutely no need for blockchain technology. So you can do this. As I said before, you could have done this like 15 years ago, 20 years ago, without blockchain technology, without distributed systems, because it's a centralized form of money. Mm-hmm. But the long-term effect, I don't know. When, when the entire financial system moves on to, to some network like uh, Ethereum, I don't know what the implications are. Mm-hmm. Sorry, do you have any comments to, to add to that? Well, I think there's a difference between the different ideas that can come through, right? So for example, if blockchain could be a good means to do helicopter money, right? Or redistribute directly aid from central banks into everybody and do MMT or things like that, which in my view are bad ideas, but they could be explored. Then the other thing is I remember a lecture by Thomas Jordan and uh, John Taylor founder of the Taylor Rule about inflation and and interest rates. And uh, I remember the debate there then was, you know, how does the central bank determine its policy to to set interest rate? Because a lot of central banks have uh, mentioned uh, to be data-driven, but then are they? And if they are, then why shouldn't they put this in a smart contract so that the decision is clear, transparent, and we know Mm. about it? So that's another use, but I think it would actually defeat the purpose of a central bank political motivation sometimes, or political implications since, uh, you know, in a lot of central banks, they are appointed or things like that, such as in the US. So it might be counterproductive in some areas for Mm -hmm. determining policy, for example, because then it doesn't allow you the flexibility that you want to have. But then in other areas for distributing fiat money to everybody, it might be it might be a use case that they might want to explore at a later stage. And and maybe that's Mm -hmm. a good mean to do that. Do I agree with that? I I wouldn't agree with that, but but I think it could it could be one. But let me say something about this again. You don't need a blockchain for this. Like blockchain is just a distributed database, right? 
that's the strength of it. You know, it's censorship resistant and stuff like this. But the central bank, you can also have helicopter money in, in, uh, in a central bank. Suppose all of us have an account at the central bank. It's just a centralized database. Everybody has an account. You know, it, they just add a, a, a couple of zeros to everybody. And that's how helicopter money would, would perform. So you don't need blockchain for this kind of operations. And you also don't need blockchain for rule-based systems. We had rule-based systems in the 70s and 80s, right? These this were these monetary rules, in particular the Deutsche Bundesbank. They had this idea, you know, the growth rate of the money supply has to be constant, has to grow at a certain rate in order to get stability. So they, they were really rule-based systems that they had at the time, but they, they failed dramatically. There's a reason why we had this ev evolution from this old rule-based system to the systems that we have today. I don't claim they are perfect, what we have today. But there's a reason why we, we went away from these simple rules. Okay, you know, the money supply just has to grow like 2% per year and then we get monetary stability because it was simply not the case. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, it's a very interesting topic and uh, I think we're running out of time here. So feel free to check out the Monetary Reset event that is coming up very soon on Friday, where both these great speakers will discuss further uh, these topics, along with um, other speakers from reputable uh, firms such as the International Monetary Fund. And I think it's going to be a great conversation. So um, great. Thank you guys uh, for coming. If you would like to hear more content around blockchain technology and cryptocurrencies, feel free to check out more on our website, cryptovalley.swiss, where we host plenty of events, educational content, and even prior information on how you can join our growing community so thanks again uh cherry and alexander for joining us and uh yeah, stay tuned us. stay safe and until next time from the crypto valley in switzerland no, thank okay you. thanks thank, thank you. you everyone bye